Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Right. Welcome to Out of the Blue from Maze and Brew, part of the SB Nation Podcast Network. The podcast that has had a lifespan five times longer than Urban Meyer's tenure in the NFL. I am Jared Stormer of MazeandBrew.com. With me, as always, is Andy Bailey, my hetero life mate, also of MazeandBrew.com. Andy, you Eastern Argonaut of truth and consequence. How are you, my friend? Not even catching strays. Urban Meyer off the bat. Sometimes you just hit the gas and stomp on the grave. I am well, my friend. Why Why would I refrain? Like, what does what has this guy done? What quality things has this man done in his life that I should show restraint in my sir, podcast? Opening? Sir, he taught a leadership and character class at The Ohio State University. What were the exams <laughs> like in that class? Do you kick your kicker? <laughs> <laughs> do you uh, take a flight home on your own do you grope women like what what is all, this curriculum yeah. it was like 12 questions all multiple choice <laughs> there's like two it's like true or false take, yeah, yeah. This. i i would love to have been a fly on the wall in that classroom of course i would definitely be snickering the entire time but nonetheless i would have loved to have been there but we digress. No need to dance on his grave any further, although we probably will later in this podcast. We have a great podcast for you this week. This is a special one for us. A little bit of a one for us last week, but we're back. We're inching closer to the game against Georgia on New Year's Eve. Very excited about that. We've got Michigan basketball, which unfortunately has paused for the time being due to COVID, but still some basketball to talk before we get into football. Yeah, Purdue, Indiana, Purdue, Fort Wayne had some positives in their program today, so no game this evening. It's a little a little frustrating just because the Wolverines seem to be really getting into, stri- into stride against uh, Southern Utah a few nights ago. Seven and four right now after the win against Southern Utah, and I had a whole piece written up here about Devontae Jones that I wanted to talk about. We can still kind of talk about it, but he did have a much better game against Southern Utah, which now makes a three-game stretch where he's really starting to put it together. But before this Southern Utah game, his stats in that not included. He had 13 points in that one, by the way. He's 6.8 points per game, 4.7 rebounds, which is fine. 3.9 assists to 2.0 turnovers. So that's a 2 to 1 turnover ratio, which is okay, I guess. You'd like to see more assists there. But he was 42% from the field, 25% from three. And this is the most alarming stat. His free throw percentage has dropped from 86% to 20 to 63%. 
That's a 23% drop. So while he's been on a little bit better of a kick here the last three games, uh, Devontae Jones is a big piece of why Michigan hasn't really been able to get it going. Yeah, um, analysis, not good. So <laughs> it's nice to see him coming along, and he gave some insightful answers in the post-game press conference about how the game is finally starting to slow down for him. And if you watch him in the Southern Utah game, it appears that it finally is. I don't, I can't explain the free throw numbers. I don't know if it's a mental thing or a fatigue thing because the man is a little bit thicker out there. The three, it's bad when that's the worst part of your game because 25% from three is also pretty abhorrent at the clip he's been taking them. So if the game is slowing down for him, I hope it can really get pieced together here before conference play really gets underway. But if he can't get it together and we see more of like a regression to the beginning of the season, it's going to be a long year. Especially since uh, we saw in this game against Southern Utah where he went three for three from downtown early on in this game, that opens things up for Hunter Dickinson an incredible amount. And he's going to be a big part of that as he's going to have the ball in his hands a great deal of the time. Eli Brooks does get a lot of playmaking duties for this team. But yeah, hitting three pointers and hitting open shots is going to be huge for him. So hopefully this trend that we've seen the last three games can start to become more of the norm and he becomes more of the player that we saw uh, in previous years in the Sun Belt Conference. But um, other than that, this game against Southern Utah did show that when the team is hitting shots, it operates totally differently. Um, this is a team that even going back to the beeline era, like it's predicated on hitting those three point shots when they come open or hitting at at least an average clip so that you can get the stuff down low. And Dickinson and Diabate were once again big in this game. Yeah, it just opens up the entire floor and makes the team respect your complete offensive scheme. And for the love of God, it's amazing what happens when you don't foul 30 feet from the basket. Like, thank you. Opens everything up. Doesn't slow the game down, Devontae. So it's, that's enough for him. I'm sorry. But yeah, I'm completely with you. When the team can shoot like it's constructed, like we've seen from Juwan Howard teams the last two years, it allows Dickinson to go to work in one-on-one -on -one and like, faulty double team so he can kick out and knock down the open shot and Diabate finally coming into his own a little bit more consistently like we've seen the athleticism it's just been some of the fundamentals and technique getting refined he's only going to get better so if the shooting around those two guys can just continue to just be average then this team can go far other notes from that game, Kobe Bufkin with 11 points and Zeb Jackson with eight. So between your guards there, you got 13 from Jones, 11 from Bufkin. Um, you get eight from Jackson, five from Frankie Collins. A very productive game from the guards overall here. And that bodes very well because you kind of want Caleb Houston and Diabate to be those extra guys and, and Terrence Williams, you could probably throw in there kind of like how Franz was. You don't want them to be your primary guys. You'd like it to be your guards getting it done, kicking it down into Hunter Dickinson. And then when it's not there, him passing it back out for open looks to three point shooters. So, so that bodes well that the guards are starting to round into form and really like the Buffkin Frankie Collins duo for future teams here. Oh yeah. Kobe Bufkin, big 10 freshman player of the week. So that was a nice accolade for him and Frankie Collins. There's something about watching that guy run down the, run down the floor, hair bouncing in the wind. It's, I love it. Best hair on the team. We're very simple creatures, a good name and a good haircut. And we're like, yeah, I'm in, I'm in on yeah. this guy. It's like, well, he's shooting 11% from the, I don't care. Semantics. I have you seen his <laughs> hair bounce? Look at that salad in the, in the bright lights. <laughs> <laughs> that lettuce is finally crafted the backcourt. And we have Terry two sticks. You kidding me? <laughs> 
Oh, man. So hopefully uh, this Michigan basketball team is able to get back on the floor. Um, yeah, the COVID, man. We'll, we'll talk about it in some of the uh, the bowl game talk. It's starting to flare back up and getting a little nervous, getting a little nervous at this point in the season, especially with everyone going uh, back to their homes and to be around families and stuff for the holidays. But there's absolutely nothing on the planet I want to talk about less than COVID. So let's move on, shall we? Sound fine with that. <laughs> I knew I wouldn't have to convince you. Uh, we haven't done this for a while, and we're a little bit fired up. This is a big podcast for us. We've got some big ones coming down the road. You ready for some rapid fire, brother? Yes, and I have not looked at these. They're in our dock, but I've skipped through them. Not even, not even peaked. Let's do this. All right. Well, you're a man of constitution, so I absolutely believe you. All right, we're going rapid fire on this. Andy has not heard these questions. Here we go. Rank these three players in terms of future importance for the team. Andrew Anthony, Junior Colson, Zach Zinter. Zach Zinter, Junior Colson, Andrew Anthony. Correct. <laughs> <laughs> There's definitely no correct answer here, but that's how I would do it as well. Rank these three acting performances in your mind. Tom Hanks in Castaway, Matt Damon in The Martian, Leonardo DiCaprio, DiCaprio in The Revenant. Leonardo DiCaprio actually ate liver and like almost killed himself for the Oscar here. So I'm just going to give that one uh, Tom Hanks castaway two, <laughs> Matt Damon three. Correct. <laughs> Number three, a realistic job. You could see Brady Hoke having success at we'll say a realistic power five job. A realistic power. Where's Brady Hoke from a race? Is he from Michigan? Uh, I don't know that he's from Michigan, but his ties are strong in the Midwest. And then he has all those West Coast ties from being at San Diego State. OK, I want to say I love that he won 11 games. That makes me feel so happy for him because I always like yeah. Brady Hoke. Fred Flintstone, bro. Who doesn't? <laughs> he punches the clock, rides a pterodactyl. It's yeah, just a sweet guy. I would say a play. I'd like to see him have success at like, uh, let me say, school, Virginia Tech. Oh, that's the exact one I had. He's correct. Let's go. I swear to God, that's the one that I had. I was like, a Virginia Tech sounds good. Yeah, that's right in the middle. Like, I was like thinking like Kansas State, Iowa State-ish. And I was like, Virginia Tech Ooh, just really yeah. hits the spot, too. Yeah, Kansas State would have been a good one, too. But, man, you're on fire right now. Does Urban Meyer ever coach again? No. Whoa, I think I agree. Uh, this stain is going to take some time, and uh, you don't kick a kicker. It really just sounds like something <laughs> out of, from a Seinfeld episode, but it happened. Well, just everything else surrounding it, the bullying of the reporter, the plane ride home, the hiring of his former players now just looks so bad in retrospect. Like, he just tarnished everything. Like, it was just awful, and no, bad things happen to bad people sometimes, and you love to see it. <laughs> You've seen enough throws from J.J. McCarthy this season. Give me a college football or pro football comp for that player. Oh, my God. Uh, I'll give you his highest ceiling. Okay. Justin Herbert. I like the Justin Herbert one. I was thinking like a current college one would be like Caleb Williams at OU. Yeah. Um, Justin Herbert for an NFL one. Um, Christian Ponder's best work. Back in the day, <laughs> only, only thing with that's awesome. <laughs> only thing with Herbert, I feel bad about Herbert's like six eight, like he's the size of like a left tackle. 
Yeah, he's bigger, but um, and I think that McCarthy moves better. So yeah. it's like, yeah, I, it'd be an interesting one. I don't really have a great comp yet, so I wanted to see where you went there. That's why I'm glad I'm asking, not not responding. Like, I All don't right. want to say Joe Burrow. Like, it's just like I, I kind of no, do. No, no. But two different types of quarterback, too. Like two different love them styles. both. But yeah, 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 absolutely love them both. Rank these three neck rolls as far as looking coolest <laughs> on the player: Bill Romanowski, Brian Urlacher, Josh Ross. You, I am. I have so much Josh Ross love. I'm gonna just lean <laughs> fully into this when lean he came. Into the homerism back, when he came back after injury with the neck roll and just somehow learned how to like be better in coverage with it too. It's got to be Josh Ross number one. Let's just leave it's that one. on the table. It's one. This is a Michigan podcast. You think I'm gonna be mad at you for being a homer? And you think I'm gonna go with the Bears player next? Are you kidding me? With all our Detroit Lions listeners, no. Bill Romanowski two Smart. once punched Smart. somebody so hard he broke their jaw. Brian Urlacher three. Didn't Romanowski like spit in the face of the maid or something too, though? He's definitely like a bad dude, but I guess if you're just a mean linebacker, it goes with the territory. But Jesus, like, Bill. Like Bill Romanowski, I'd rather be a warrior in a garden than a gardener in a war. <laughs> strong words. <laughs> Does Kobe Bufkin unseat Devontae Jones at point guard at any point this season? Is, no, I think Devontae Jones is coming on, and maybe that's my optimism working against me, but I could see them splitting time. All right. I uh, I will agree with you on that one, by the way. Michigan player football with the most swagger. Football player with the most swag. Oh, man, that's a great question. Because I've seen I, we watch all the pregame stuff, all the hype videos of players dancing and doing different things. And I'm going to go. Oh, man. I'm going to go. This is gonna might be a little off. Blake Corum. I think Blake Corum has a ridiculous amount of swag about him. And he's like very understated with it, which makes it even cooler. I love that. I'm going to go with Ojabo just because he sounds like he should be owning like a jazz club in 1950s Harlem. And it's the coolest thing ever. He could wear a fedora and really rock the hell out of it. And it, just the way he talks. Are you going to do it? Oh, you want me to look, man, like we just come <laughs> out here and we execute, man. Like that's what we do. And. You know, it's and they come after us, and that doesn't matter. We're gonna come after them. Yes, <laughs> <laughs> he's so cool, man. Everything he, he says, I'm just like, this guy is the coolest dude I've ever heard speak. How many total tackles did David Ojabo have coming into this season in his Michigan career? Do you, are you asking me that, or is that like a rapid fire? Just because I do not fire. have that. Just, just have a guess. Uh it's gonna be like 15. One. What? <laughs> Wow, I was not ready for that. One tackle, no tackles for loss, no sacks, no forced fumbles entering this season. Projected number six in the most recent mock draft that I read. I have not heard of a faster rise than that. That is insanity. I mean, the Joe Burrow rise was pretty crazy, too. That it was, and now he's like the number one pick to own a jazz club because of us. <laughs> I hope so, man. Like, it's just <laughs> dominant, man. I love I love David Ojabo and like yeah you get the Gus Johnson call the Ojabo it's so good man the the crowning him after the sack in the Ohio State game just cool like everything about Ojabo is just cool man I want to hang out with him yeah I'd love to talk to him we just start laughing though like it's like sorry like it's really not about you like you could rip us apart but like this is just oh yeah I am in no way making fun of you sir I think it's the coolest like his yeah it's just cool yeah you're six five two fifty there's no way I'm making fun of you 
Yeah. First of all, I'm not trying to die. (laughs) And second of all, like I am a fan to the highest order, sir. So yeah, same team, same team, my man. Um, You got any for me? Um, You don't have to. It's okay. I just prepared a lot and thought maybe you'd, you know, do the same for me. It is the holidays after all. Player you'd most want to have a beer with on this team? Aiden Hutchinson. No question. I mean, all right. Remove Hutchinson because that's always like, that's, it's kind of the default. Coaches included. Ooh, ooh, ooh. I mean, um, I think Mike McDonald would be a sneaky good hang. I feel like he'd be like sitting there quietly, but if you asked him a question, he'd be like, give you the most introspective answer and be completely honest. He'd be a low key good hang. Um, (sighs) Strong sneaker game, too. And I bet he's really in the 90s rap. I want to have a beer with Brad Robbins and watch a Michigan game after he's graduated. Dude, Brad Robbins already has like the dad beard with the shaved head. Like, I feel like he's older than we are. That's what I'm saying. I want to drink Bush Light with him on a tailgate, and I want like him to throw a chair like Chris Jericho every single time Michigan scores. So that's, yeah, that's my other one. Who you got? Uh, a sneaky good one for me is Mike Hart, because I bet he's got hella good stories. Oh, I'm sure he's got some crazy good stories. Yeah, yeah, that's a really good one. Um, last one, current best name on the team. We haven't done this in a while. Not not recruits, because, I mean, we got a guy named Deuce Spurlock coming. We have Alessandro and a guy named Marlon coming. And my parents named me Andrew. Like, do better. I'm Jared, which is mostly known as the pedophile from Subway now. And Jared Leto, who I believe has a sex dungeon. <laughs> it's like, we love you, the J-Man. <laughs> Thanks, man. I appreciate you. Yeah, so who is the current best name on the team? Um, let's, let's, let's talk this out. Yeah, this one actually might not be a rapid fire. We might need to talk this out. I really like Junior Colson, especially for a linebacker. I do sounds, like that. that sounds like a linebacker name. I like Andrell Anthony because of the yeah. AA. Yeah, the AA. I was going to add that one in there. That's really good. Mozzie Smith. That's a good one. I like Luke Schoonmaker just because his Instagram handle is Schoonboy Q. <laughs> That's amazing. Plus, like Schoonie as a nickname is really good. Dax Hill. It's it's short, elegant, to the point. Two syllables. I hate when people call him Daxton. It sounds like like a prep school teacher's mad at him. Hey, Daxton. Yeah. It's like yeah, no. yeah, yeah, yeah. He reminds me then of like the dude, uh, the cake eater from Mighty Ducks, like Banks. Even though it was Adam Banks, it's just like Daxton Hill. Yeah, it's way too uptight. And the way he plays, like he doesn't play football. Like he plays a like a Dax. He plays like a Dax. Um, dude, H two O Hassan Haskins. Like, yeah underrated yeah that's an underrated one is there anybody that we're missing maybe that doesn't play as much lucas andrighetto <laughs> yeah i mean there's certainly a lot of syllables <laughs> that's up there um let's think deep yeah i don't know i feel like we're missing somebody that's an obvious one um Braden mcgregor Will- still pretty strong Braden McGregor is strong. Not a huge Braden guy because uh, yeah. I looked at the BYU roster. It's it's kind <laughs> of comedic. There's like 30 Braden, Aiden, Jaden, like Cadence. It's It gets a little bit much. I think there's no, some I mean, religious connection there. There might be, but that's not for us to discuss on this <laughs> podcast. <laughs> that's not our wheelhouse. Not um, our wheelhouse. All right. Well, we're probably missing somebody. Uh, reach out to us. Let us know who we missed here. We were kind of more. This was off the cuff. We'll do a deep dive. But we got some some incoming freshmen that I think are probably going to do Spurlock, man. That's Zeke awesome. Barry. Oh, my God. Colston Loveland. Loveland. 
Yeah. Oh man, you're high on him, and you've got me into the Colston Love. I'm I'm down a rabbit hole on Colston Loveland now. His catch all, radius. Are you, are you kidding me? I mean, I think he's enrolling early too, so he'll get some practice with the team. Dude. Yeah, I'm high. I'm high. Uh, maybe somebody to bring up in the second half of this pod. Wink, wink. Um, oh, I can't believe I just said wink, wink. I'm editing that out. That's ridiculous. I'm a grown man. <laughs> um, well, most underrated trash talker on the team. It's Aiden Hutchinson after the uh, the Chris Long podcast. Like we heard what he said to Petit Frere on that play that honestly might take over like I don't know if he's my favorite player over Woodson yet but maybe beats the Woodson interception against Michigan State as my all-time favorite play when he decimates Frere after talking his his business dude Chris Long had a great comp he said this is similar to when Jadavian Clowney blew up Vincent Smith and that was everywhere for the draft he said that was your moment it's gonna play forever payback oh my god I love that comparison and uh, yeah, we need to push that narrative because that was all we saw after the Vincent Smith play. I'm going to give you two other names for like low key good trash talkers on the team. Trevor Keegan. Mm. After okay. the after Roman Wilson got hit, he was the first one there in his face, and then had the tweet afterwards that said "little ass boy." And another one is Hassan Haskins. Because Haskins in the Ohio oh. State game after every play had something to say, but is always so measured and calm off the field. Bro, we missed on this one. I was just so excited about hearing what uh, Aiden Hutchinson said. I don't know if we're allowed to curse yet on this pod, uh, but basically what uh, Aiden Hutchinson said to Petit Frere before he uh, turned him into some type of paste uh, was, you're a bitch, and then planted him (laughs) into the earth as though he did not exist. So that's pretty good. It's simple, elegant, to the point. Uh, Blake Corum, though, is actually the winner. Because of what we discussed in the podcast last week, that measured, that well thought out, he like quoted like a poet. It was like Walt Whitman. Excuses are like devices of the week that build bridges to nowhere or whatever it was. That is the most eloquent trash talk I've ever heard. It's the John 316 of trash talking is what it is. Like it's just <laughs> tattoo it on me. And Mikey Sanders is also another underrated one. Like there's some good trash talkers on this team and I love that. I love it too, man. Uh, they just got mojo. Team's got layers. I uh, got to take a moment. Talk about our people at Home Field Apparel uh, who've been with us now for the good times, the bad times. They are uh, they're part of us now. And uh, they're part of my wardrobe, the incredibly comfortable, affordable sportswear brand with the best selection, old school, new school designs, whatever school you support. I have to assume it's Michigan. If not, you're some sort of spy trying to find out something that we maybe know about Georgia. Uh, I'm just going to break it to you. We don't know anything different about Georgia that you're not going to be able to find. Uh, But nonetheless, they've got you covered for whatever team and you can get 20 percent off your first purchase with MNB at checkout. When you go to Home Field Apparel, that's two P's, one one L, dot com. All right. Uh, We were kind of talking about recruiting there for a little bit. Michigan finished up on a bit of a tear, and you and I are really high on this recruiting class, especially with some of the guys that we were able to flip last minute. So give me some of your thoughts on this recruiting class, particularly the, the, the new guys. As everyone knows, I love Zeke Berry, Colson Loveland. We've already talked about them kind of at nauseum at this point. Will Johnson's the highlight. But the one I really want to touch on is the last day flip 
of four-star wide receiver Darius Clemens at 6'3", 205. And if you watch this kid's tape, he's every bit as good as the five stars. And just adding that height, like suddenly our wide receiver room is massive. Love that for us. Along with three-star athlete Amorian Walker, he's 6'4", 175. So you get Clemens and then Walker. Where do you see Amorian Walker playing? Have they talked about him being safety? Because that's 6'4", that's massive for a safety or a corner. I, th- I think it has to be a receiver, but also he's going to need to, you know, get some meals, get in the Ben Herbert program because 6'4", 175, not necessarily thick. I'm 5'10", 175, and I'm not that imposing. <laughs> no. <laughs> I actually have some weight on him at this point. And look, I'm working on it. I, I'm back in the gym. We're we're gonna fix that. But yeah, he needs to he needs to weigh more than that at six four. Good because gracious. Randy Moss was six four one ninety five and how skinny he looked on the football field. Well, Randy Moss is kind of a once in a generation guy. I mean, let's not yeah. compare Morian Walker to him just yet, but um, still <laughs> no, like height wise. <laughs> hey, look, he was a, he's a three star. Some have him a four star flip from Notre Dame. That makes the wide receiver room along with Tyler Morris way more interesting than it was coming into the final day. Like that is all of a sudden a massive room. Tyler Morris is six foot. Um, so like, it's so interesting how they recruit wide receivers. Sometimes it seems they're going for the speed in space, the, uh, you know, the Roman Wilson's and the AJ Hennings of the world that aren't quite as big, but then they go big in this draft here. So it's, it's just, I don't, I don't really know. These guys are very fast. I'll be very interested to see how they perform on the football field, but hard to get a read on what they're trying to do with that receiver room. I'm, f- yeah, I'm here for it though. It's very diverse and as far as height is concerned, Andrew Anthony, six, two CJ, six, three, Ronnie bell, six foot. So a ton of size out there. Now they could put together tall lineups, short lineups, all the speed in the world. So ton of fun, man. He and Tyler Morris. Now Morris coming off that knee injury might take a little bit more time getting into the speed of things, but the wide receiver room is not a, not pause for concern at all. No, definitely not. Another area, especially after this draft class that I am no longer concerned with, and it's my favorite area. You know I love talking about it. This secondary hall looks extremely impressive, especially with the flip of Keon Sab, who was formerly committed to Clemson in this. You add that to five-star Will Johnson out of Michigan. Uh, Keon Sab listed as a safety. There's some that think he could play corner. Um, you get that, you get Zeke Barry, who you and I like are just as high as possibly could be on him. Um, Cody Jones might end up in the secondary, just a really, really good haul there at a place where, um, I mean, we did great this year with what we had, but still probably room for improvement there, even after an excellent year, which is, I mean, we're nitpicking now, but, um, this is exciting what's coming in that secondary. And if clink scale sticks around what he could do with these guys, who mama. Yeah, he and Bellamy on the back end have done a great job recruiting and developing. And I love that they're really focusing on the back end and then coming to the and working their way back to front because the secondary is harder to fill in and like put together. Like you can find pass rushers all over the place, but maybe maybe not Aiden Hutchinson level, but still more serviceable. So I love the way they're building this defense and just putting them in Mike McDonald's scheme and I do like that Michigan's playing late into the year because all these other coaching vacancies are being filled left and right. I'm just like rubbing my hands together like Birdman. The fact that we might keep a lot of this staff together. I was going to bring that up earlier. The fact that we're still going and uh, we may be able to retain some of these guys. Obviously, we need that Stephen Ross handshake money. 
you know, to keep these guys around because people are still going to be sniffing around and maybe could could up their salaries as assistants and as coordinators. So, yeah, definitely something to keep an eye on. But I agree with you. I'm glad that we're able to to keep these guys this deep into the season. And it may be a chance we keep this coaching staff together for one more year. Very exciting, especially with this recruiting class. And I'm just saying, maybe that's another reason why Harbaugh's kicking a lot of that, all that bonus money back to the athletic department. Spread the wealth. Share the load. <laughs> Samwise Gamgee would say. <laughs> exactly. So there's definitely a reason for him giving the money back more than just the PR move. And if you're giving money back, that's going to come to your assistance instead of you taking it. That's leadership. Now, you already wrote an article about this, but uh, for the people that maybe didn't catch that article, who do you see as an instant impact guy on this in this recruiting class? Oh, like we've talked about him enough. I'll give you just my three front runners, Will Johnson, Zeke Barry, and Colston Loveland. Loveland's going to get on the field because of his just athleticism and size. He's a hell of a basketball player too at tight end. He's only going to get bigger. He's already like 245 and he has like room on his frame for like 20 more pounds. It looks like Will Johnson's a five-star for a reason. Massive corner. He can come in there, probably play rotational. And Zeke Barry's our boy. It's our favorite guy in the class. One of the best names in the class. And the kid's just a missile on the field. Like he flies around the ball, already plays at a college level speed. And the way Mike McDonald likes to play young players like Rod Moore and things like that, I could see him getting on the field. I was just going to add that, but of course you got there because we're connected, <laughs> connected Facts. at the brainstem. <laughs> um, but yes, absolutely. I think that's a great point. Rod Moore, RJ Moten, they were able to get on the field. We're going to lose Dax Hill and Brad Hawkins. I think that makes a ton of sense that Zeke Barry or Will Johnson will have a, a shot there. And Keon Sab, you know, yep. let's throw him in there. I just got to his tape recently because he was a late flip. Um, he's an exciting prospect as well at 6'2", over 200 pounds. You know, he was going to good enough to play for Clemson. So that tells you something. So another guy I'm excited about. Um, I already mentioned the guy that I really like Mason Graham on the defensive line. I think that he was under recruited, underrated because of where he played. And uh, sometimes that's like like Quiddy Pay was one of those where early on it's like this guy's probably going to outperform his recruiting ranking based on the measurables, based on the limited tape, I would put him in that kind of not quitty pay was like an insane athlete yeah. and physical specimen. Mason Graham is not that, but like just as far as how much he's talked about versus what I think he'll bring to the team. Yeah. And also another sneaky recruit was Andrew Gentry, the original Virginia commit who was going to be on his Mormon mission, the former four star six, seven tackle, like, just he ends up like getting out of this somehow and not going to Virginia. Now he's coming to Michigan. I don't know the religious university, all that. All I know is he's coming to Michigan and the kid is massive. Look, I got into some trouble when I was talking about the history of Joseph Smith. I wasn't trying to have a religious debate with the guy. We were playing BYU. I just brought up the history of Joseph Smith. So I will not be going there on this <laughs> podcast. This ain't the place. But, Jared will not uh, be is, touching on this subject huge, at all, but we're excited for Andrew Gentry. 20 years speak old. for us both. Yeah. <laughs> and the fact that he's six, seven, 20 years old, that is a legitimate pickup. That's a guy that I would expect to make an impact sooner rather than later. You mentioned a guy right before we recorded here, um, and I don't know anything about it. I had just heard it from you, uh, the center, a Remington Award candidate that's potentially looking at Michigan as a transfer. Yeah, the kid at Virginia, I don't, I can't think of his name right off the top of my head, but he seems to be leaning towards Michigan, and you add him to this offensive line that's already bringing back three of five starters, let's, let's go. 
you need to find a defensive end somewhere in the transfer portal and this team's locked and loaded again. Oh, it's I'm already excited for offseason content like it's going to be this team is just, you know, with with what we get to cover about the season that we just witnessed and then how good this team could be again next year. Man, it's a good time to be doing this job. I know, right? We were in a very fortunate situation. And even with like lower producing players, you look at David Ojabo coming in with one career tackle and what he became now in this defense. Like who else can take it in a Jabo type leap next year? That's a big leap. And I don't, you shouldn't expect that year in and year out. Let's just get that right off. Oh, never. Right but off, somebody yeah. can still, you know, take a step or overlook and like a McGregor. There's going to be a leap, but one tackle to number six pick in the draft doesn't happen year in and year out. That's all I'm saying. Oh, I mean, that's facts. I mean, you're playing five years of football, a great accent. Like, that guy doesn't come around every day. Great accent. <laughs> Love that that was your number two. You should be an NFL GM. Oh, man. <laughs> Look at the production and that accent. Yeah. Draft him. Draft him. His nickname is King Ojabo. Draft the man. Or is it just King Jabo? That's even better. It's even cooler, man. Like, all right. Yeah. Uh, all right. That's going to do it for the first half of this podcast and a special podcast that it is. When we come back, we have a special guest for you. And man, once again, one of the biggest podcasts of our, our career. Get up for it, my friend. Yes, there's a big name coming. A big name coming in the second half. I hope you guys stick around. See you in a minute. All right, welcome back to Out of the Blue in what has to be the biggest second half or just biggest podcast that we've done. We have Michigan legend Jake Butt with us, 2016 Mackey Award winner, program record holder for both yards and receptions by a tight end, All-American, beloved Michigan Wolverine. Jake, thank you so much for being with us today. Hey, thanks, guys. I appreciate the intro. Uh, One thing I got to say here, I take great pride in this. Not many people know this. I am a two-time All-American. It's subjective, but in as you walk into the walls of Schembechler Hall, there's there's an All-American board, and there is a big list, maybe, I mean, relatively big, of one-time All-Americans. But then there's a small list of about 20 people with two-time All-Americans. I think we only have three three-time All-Americans. I couldn't quite make that list, but of two-time All-Americans, there's about 20 people, and my name is down there. So I do – I take great pride in being one of 20 in the history of Michigan football. So Let's um, go. Own thank it. you for it. Yeah, yeah. Appreciate it, guys. Dude, own it. Though. Michigan football. Chance to play for the Natty. Taking on the SEC. Let's go. We, we talked about this a few podcasts ago. We don't quite understand the All-American rankings and just like the overall awards thing because of the media coaches stuff. Like yeah. it gets a little confusing, but uh, sure. five-time All-American in my mind, even though you played four years. So. <laughs> <laughs> That's right. So, uh, Jake, thanks again, man. Um, all right. So let's get into this. You were able to play under Coach Harbaugh for a few years, though. And when you look at the offense when you were there, and you look at the offense this year under Josh Gaddis, does it seem drastically different from when you played both in uh, personnel and the and what they're calling as far as is play calling? Or does it seem like a little bit more uh, what you're used to than people have kind of considered? Yeah, personnel wise, not really. I think Jim Harbaugh is Jim Harbaugh. He knows he wants to stay in that 12 personnel, you know, lean into more tight ends. Kind of glad we're, you know. Ben Mason was a beast. We've had some great fullbacks, but, um, you know, I'm kind of glad we're getting a, away from the fullback a little bit. I think one thing I always think about from a recruiting standpoint is, you know, 
Wisconsin struggles to bring in quarterbacks because they throw the ball 12 times a game. Why would, why would as an elite quarterback, you want to go play quarterback at Wisconsin? You're not going to be able to show your talent. You know, it's hard to sell a quarterback. Hey, come to Michigan. You're going to be a stud when we're handing it off to the fullback a couple of times. So at least when you're in 12 personnel, you have that threat of passing the ball downfield. Now um, I think, this is a more modern Jim Harbaugh offense. And I think Gaddis has continued to improve year over year where, yes, we want to be run heavy. We want to be pro style, but we're not just going to run it right up the middle. You've seen Gaddis implement the inside zone. You got outside zone. You got gap schemes strong. You have counter schemes weak. And then another thing of the jet sweeps and the reverses to the wide receivers. So, yes, it's a run heavy offense, but you're giving multiple looks to the defense. So you line it up in one formation. But you can run the ball six different ways. That's tough to scheme against. And then, of course, you got a guy like Cade. And um, one thing I love about Cade, Cade reminds me a little bit of Jake Rudock back in the day where you're never going to hear Cade get in there and say, hey, Cade's going to win the Heisman this year. But that's all right, man. No one, no one says Tom Brady is the most talented wide, or quarterback in the NFL either. You know, you'd take Josh Allen. You'd take Patrick Mahomes, Lamar Jackson. But there's a knowledge in a leadership in – and an understanding aspect of the quarterback position that really, really benefits the collective team. So I think what Cade does really well is getting everybody lined up, understanding the timing, understanding defenses, his checks, understanding the reads. And ultimately, Cade's got all the talent in the world to make the throws and execute. So um, under Gaddis, this offense is definitely run first, but it's fluid. They have a lot of different ways to attack you. Um, they prefer to run, but you, the Wisconsin game, we were able to, you know, air it out a little bit, have a couple touchdowns in the air. I think it's going to be a little bit tougher to run against Georgia, but, um, you know, I think we still have to commit to the run. But it's nice to know that you can have those options to go to if push comes to shove. Well, to your point there, I think one of the biggest advantages in this offense is the versatility of the tight ends, especially in the second half of the season with Luke Schoonmaker, Eric All being able to block like extra tackles on the field, but also make plays in open space. Yeah, I mean, we could talk about we could have our own show about those guys. They are they are some beast men. And um, I think early in the season, you weren't seeing as much targets. That's OK. We just were focused on wins. They're road graders, man. You watch them. We run a lot of Y inserts. So they kind of start off the ball by the tackles and then they fold in and they meet the linebackers right in the hole. Every week, watch it. You're going to see the, the, the opposing linebackers, his head snap back, spit comes flying out of his helmet. At some point in the game, you don't want to meet Luke or Eric in the hole anymore, man. That's a tough assignment. And those guys bring it every single play, every single game. Never see him turn down uh, contact. But What's really impressive is, and they haven't they haven't had the opportunities that maybe I got in my career. You see both of them with their own ha- pair of one-handed catches in the Big Ten Championship. Luke's down the seam. Cade hits him beautifully in stride right in the numbers. He gets met with a safety and a corner, a big-time hit, but he comes down with the ball. So when their number are called, they're able to secure the catches and, and make the plays that are needed. Um, so they're really the total package and it's always good to have one of them, but you got two of them and then you got Joel Horningford, a converted offensive lineman who can come in there and rough you up, um, in the run game too. So they got a good thing going. Jay Harbaugh doing a hell of a job coaching those guys. It's really fun to watch. Dude, Jay Harbaugh, we've, uh, we've been high on him. Um, and I might come back to that here if we have time, he's been excellent this season and the improvement from the tight ends. I mean, it's not just something that's the eye test. If you look at the first half of the season, 164 yards receiving, no touchdowns. And then the second half of the season, plus the Big Ten championship game, they kind of go off. 376 yards receiving, five touchdowns. 
did it seem to you that as the season went along, there was more of an emphasis on getting the tight ends involved? There were some some early red zone issues, and it seemed like getting the tight ends involved really helped to alleviate that. What did you see as the season went along? Was it more of an emphasis on getting the ball into the tight ends' hands, or was just those guys kind of coming along naturally? I don't think that tells the full story. I think you look at our schedule early in the season and the the teams we were playing called to run the ball. They were lesser teams. Honestly, early in the season, our starters weren't even playing in the second half. Washington has two of the highest highest graded cornerbacks in the entire country. So, of course, we're going to be run dominant in a game like that. So it wasn't just the tight ends. it, It was just the way the season shook out. Then also to consider that. So you're building these tendencies of running the ball early in the season. Well, then in the second half of the season, those, those teams you're facing have been studying your tendencies. They know Michigan wants to run the ball. That's when you can really start to set up these play actions and get the other guys involved. And they've always had the talent. I think that's what the value Gaddis has brought this year. And again, I think he's improved year over year over year. Is He's not he's taking what the defense gives him. That gives us a schematic advantage when we're on offense. Is, um, hey, the defense knows we're going to run it here. Let's actually show them exactly what they want to see with the play action. And then you see a lot of the crossing routes and the tight end little dump passes over the middle. Those are easy pitch and catches for chunk yards, 10, 15 yards down the field. Um, And and those guys are, it's just great to have tight ends that can do whatever is asked of them. So um, be looking for it's It's another thing about this offense. though is every week someone new steps up. It's not just the tight ends. It's a new wide receiver every week. It's all three of our running backs every week. It's J.J. McCarthy coming in sparingly. We're going to need everybody to step up again um, in this play in this semifinal playoff if we want to go and uh, have a chance to win a national championship. Yeah, I think it, think it speaks volumes to the tight ends to be so willing to block at all times, especially early in the season and just wait for their opportunity. And mm-hmm. Eric all spoke on John Jansen's podcast early in the year, and he asked what you love most about the game, like want to score touchdowns. And he basically just said, I want to run through people's faces. Like, I just want to snap them back. I just want to hurt them. And Jared and I always joke, like, he blocks people like they kidnapped his family. Like, he just runs over people on the field. Yeah, he's a beast, man. That's funny. He's kind of got a screw loose when you you talk to him. He's like the nicest kid in the world. But then when you watch him on the field, he's an absolute maniac. I don't, I don't want my, I don't want my tight end to solve quantum physics, man. I want you to run through somebody's face mask, you know, and that's what Eric does. That's what Luke does. You watch, especially we do, we do a lot of uh, like on our jet sweeps with the wide receiver motions. We're pulling the tight ends around and they're, they're hat on a hat on a secondary member. You watch the Ohio state game and their safeties heads were snapped back. They're turning their heads and they're, they're shying away from contact and Eric's driving them 15 yards down the field out of bounds. Luke's doing the same thing. So it's beautiful to see. Well, also in that same game, Hassan Haskins said that touchdown like to the edge. I think it was a zone scheme. And he just like puts his hand on Eric and rides him all the way into the end zone. And it was yeah. just beautiful to watch. Beautiful play. There's an old coaching saying where if you score with your man, you're going to score a touchdown. So when you're blocking your man, if you can score with him, if you can drive him into the end zone, the ball carrier is going to follow you. That's the perfect example of that. So. Yeah, that was fantastic. And now, as we know, Michigan's going to the Orange Bowl. And Jake, you've spoken very publicly about your experiences with opting to play for your senior season and opting to play in the bowl game. And we wanted to just give you an opportunity to kind of elaborate on that and like your thoughts and regrets or anything you had like thoughts circling that moment. Yeah, I got no regrets. Um, For me, there's a couple things that are just true at a foundational level. 
Like I lost a lot of money playing in that game. I, you could argue that that was a domino that fell and, you know, led to more injuries in my career. Another thing people don't consider is you get hurt in the NFL. You have workers comp, you have disability. The NFL is liable for all those injuries that happen, whether you have complications with them down the line or not. When it happens in college, all they're liable to pay for is that exact surgery that happened for you. So if I need a knee replacement one day, I did two ACLs at Michigan. That's coming out of my own pocket, not Michigan's. Another thing, I was since my injury happened in college and not in the NFL, you enter the NFL not on injured reserve. You enter on something called non-football injury, meaning you got hurt outside of the NFL, which also means I was not on insurance. I did not receive benefits. I did not get a 401k match. I made split salary. Split salary is like a six-figure reduction in, in your salary. So these things are adding up, man. It's it's not just this this black and white scenario that people are considering. Like, play for the love of the game, the respect of your team. Great. I'll respect the hell out of you if you go do that. But why are we holding you, – you look at the other example is the landscape of college football. Brian Kelly leaves his team. When they have a chance to go play in the college football playoff, he's gone. Why are we holding 18 to 22-year-old kids to a higher standard than we are to a $100 million coach? You know what I'm saying? Like, let these guys grasp, you know, get, gather as much information as possible and make the best decision for them on an individual basis. You can't knock that, man. For me, I have no regrets because I've found to be true when you're tried by life and when you face adversity, there's an emotional and a spiritual growth that happens. And I value that greatly in my life. But that's my values, not somebody else's. So for me, I did what I did what made sense for me. For the next man, I ask that we give them the same grace. Excellent answer, man. And thank you for just being very, very open about that. And I think that has a ton of value for especially players that are currently playing and the kids that are coming up too. So like you being so willing to talk about that and being open about that, it's super helpful. Obviously, there's the NIL that's happening now. So things are a bit different than when you were there. Uh, my, my stepdad coaches at central Catholic there in Ohio, which you probably right. having played at Pickerington, you probably know yeah. about them. Um, and he knows, uh, Kovacs and his family pretty well, Jordan Kovacs and his yeah. family pretty well. And, and that was kind of the sense that I was getting from him is that it's more about getting to that level to where you can have some sort of security net of like playing in the in the in the league for a couple of years for that security net. And it's something that's probably not talked about a ton um, because, you know, we all look at the players and we probably all look at the Patrick Mahomes of the world. But when you look at like the majority of the players, you know, they're, they're, they're people that have, you know, actual, you know, the jobs in their lives, you know, right. the, the most people that come through that. So yeah. I think that's very interesting that you bring that up and, um, you know, you mentioned you wouldn't do anything differently. You wouldn't uh, you wouldn't change anything about it, though. And uh, when you see players that sit out now, you know, Kenneth Walker from Michigan State, Kenny Pickett is sitting out the, the Pittsburgh Bowl. Do you have any reaction to that? Or for you, is it kind of just like, you know, each player their their own? Or do you kind of look at it and you're like, well, you know, I went out there and played. And I mean, you were when you when you decided to play that game, it was like, reported nationally i mean it was yeah. a big deal that you decided to play that game yeah yeah no i don't have again I, I say the same thing as i just told you guys i respect a man's decision when he does what he believes to be best for him and i don't understand how anyone could argue that another thing people don't consider is this if you play in this new year's bowl game combines mid-march right so you play in this bowl game you're beat up you just had a bowl game camp you're it's it's late in the season you, you got wear and tear on your body 
you have a week off of traveling to where you train and then you can't just hit the ground running training at full speed your, your body's just in too much it's too much wear and tear you need another week of like prep so now you're mid-january to mid-march from the combine that's three months of prep if you know hey we're not going to play in a bowl game because i'm not playing in the college football playoff your last game ends at the end of november now you start that combine prep first week of December, early December. That gives you a whole nother month to prep for your 40, your bench press, um, your the mental aspect of the combine. Um, so that's another thing to consider. I, I don't think people, again, they just try to make it black and white, but it's not. There's so many factors that go into these decisions. And uh, again, man, if you're 22 years old and you're making the decision that you feel best for the, the long-term future of your life, go ahead. How do you think NIL has impacted those decisions with players this year, like like either opting to play or not to play? Or you saw the uh, quarterback Quinn Ewers at Ohio State go there and collect a substantial amount of money and then transfer out and go to Texas. How do you think that's impacted other guys like making that decision? Yeah, so in terms of the bowl game, I think I don't think it's actually impacted yet, but I, I definitely foresee an impact in the future. Um, and rightfully so, man, these bowl games make a lot of money, especially like the New Year's, New Year's Six Bowl. The big bowls are, are making a lot of money. If you want to, it's essentially an investment. Can we monetize and encourage guys to play? That improves our product. Essentially, they'd be sharing, you know, in the pool to make a better product for everybody. So I definitely see that happening. Now, uh, with Ohio State quarterback, the way I understand it is that was a it was an exclusive memorabilia deal. Mm-hmm. So. He actually didn't make all that money. It's for signatures throughout his career. So I think for whoever, that's going to change too. People can't just be tossing around seven-figure deals to these five stars. They're probably going to have to put some conditions in there to ensure that they actually see the field. But he's making those seven figures over the entirety of his career. So him going to a school where he actually has a chance to play, he's clearly not going to jump C.J. Stroud. C.J. Stroud is an absolute stud. You watch some of those throws he made in the Ohio State game this year. Dude's a beast. That guy was not going to play whether he was, you know, the next coming of uh, Brady himself. You know, <laughs> he was stuck behind C.J. Stroud. So he had to make the best decision for himself. Once again, I think the transfer portal keeps coaches accountable and allows everybody to do just that. Make the best decision for yourself. Thank, yeah, that's uh, that's a very good point. And uh, you're, you're absolutely right about the NL, NIL thing. I think that it's going to change significantly. This is the first year of it, and it almost has like a wild, wild west feel. So I would yeah. not be surprised if things really start to um, just get honed in a little bit on that side. But it is bizarre right now. And uh, I, I still think it's a it's a move towards the better, but we'll see where it goes with that. Uh so you are a multiple record holder at Michigan. When you're watching these games, this is a two-part question. I first want to know, how do you watch the games? Like, are you like kind of a bunker guy? We're both bunker guys. We get into yeah. our safe space and like maybe a couple people that we trust to be there. And then the second question is, when you're watching this, do you keep the record in mind? Or is that like just something you don't you don't really worry about it? Like, I just want to know as like as a record holder, is it something that's like just kind of subconsciously there as you're watching Eric all beast out against Penn State? Yeah, um, well, you know, my records are a little bit different. They're career records. So I was playing as a freshman. It was it's more a testament to a body of work over a long period of time. So um, 
I don't have much to worry about yet. The single season records, and, and I think I may be second place in the in the in the catches and receptions. Um, those can come and go at any time. I'm not. I would if somebody breaks those, that's good for Michigan, and I want what's good for Michigan. So I'll I'll let that happen. Um, I, I would like for those records to be broken. Um, haven't felt threatened yet, but I look forward to the day <laughs> when I am threatened. Um, but yeah, no, I've been at all most of the home games this year. I was in attendance. Um, a lot of the games, I, I still watch it just super emotionally. I'm invested heavily in Michigan. I want to see them win. I want to see them do well. The Michigan State game, I was literally brought to my knees. Like I was like, no, no. <laughs> people, people were going out to a party after the game, and everybody just put it behind them. And I just sat on the couch by myself, like leave me alone, staring at the ground. <laughs> like everybody's like, hey man, you want to drink? You want to? I'm like, no, actually, I think I want to go home. And I went home at like nine o'clock. I was like, this, I don't understand what, why everyone's smiling and having a good time. Like, you know? <laughs> but in terms of watching the game, I watch it as if I'm a coach, as if I'm still a player. Like you see Blake Corum Blake a ru- break a run. And I'm like, did you see the interior offensive line there? Did you see them put a hat on the hat? Did you see their hand placement, their physicality? I, I like that. I, I understand football is so much more than the surface level. It's like, a, it's like a, when it's done well, it's like a piece of art. It's like a chess match. Um, it's one of the most complicated intricate sports around I, I have such a love for it and an appreciation when it's done well there's nothing more beautiful than that. you're trying to get 11 guys to do their individual job to benefit the team and when it clicks on all cylinders it's absolutely beautiful so that's that's kind of how I watch the game well you see the game so much differently than we do and there was a viral clip that went around I believe last week of Cooper Cup talking about splitting a fire zone with a down yeah. safety and shooting coverage and you do a nice job of breaking it down from that level to bring it down to our level so fans can kind of understand it but doing it in a colloquial yeah. manner so there's a relatability there. Yeah. Yeah, so you got a fire zone, you you have to understand what that means like when you're talking when the offensive coordinator's breaking down, hey, this week we can expect a fire zone on third and 6. This is what happens. But to the common fan, they don't care or need to know what a fire zone is. What they need to know is, hey, in this specific coverage, this linebacker is going to sit here and you're going to see the safety up top and he's going to roll down here. Do you see that five yard gap between those two guys? That's where we have to attack. That's where Cooper Cup is running his option route and says that's where the space is. He cuts there. Matt Stafford throws it on time and he knifes up field. So you got to you got to take it down a couple of notches. There's a lot of verbiage and there's a reason for it when you're in those meetings. But for the common fan, and especially when you're breaking it down, you're in a limited time frame. You got to take it down to a digestible, absorbable level. Um, and that's a little bit tough to do. But when you can do it, man, there's such value in it. That was a great point, Andy. And I totally agree that your your breakdowns have been like for just the layman, like very much digestible and uh, understandable, but also like informative. So uh, I you. think that you're, I think it's going to be really fun to watch you as you progress um, in that. But let's let's kind of shift towards Georgia here. Michigan has Georgia. There's an actual game. We are still playing meaningful games here, which is wild late in December. Um, exciting to say. And Georgia has, if I had to say, probably the most impressive tight end that I've watched this season Good. in Brock Bowers. Have you been able to watch him much? And what do you think about him as a, a, a matchup problem against this Michigan defense? He's a stud, man. He's big. He's fast. He can run. Soft hands. He can block. Um, he's really the total package. He'll he'll probably have a very, very long and successful career in the NFL. He's a beast. Now, they, Georgia has some question marks at quarterback, and they don't know they don't have a clear-cut guy that they're like, this guy's gonna lead us to the promised land, you know? And now you got JT Daniels getting COVID. You wonder how this is gonna play out. But one thing that you what happens when you have a quarterback that's struggling, they like the safety valve tight end. 
They don't need to throw the go the beautiful goal route in stride 50 yards down the field. Sometimes it's just a little stick route for five yards and let your big boy fall forward for eight, 10 yards, you know? So I, I look to him to be a big factor in this game. Now, what does Michigan do schematically to slow that down? And it's tough because you want Aiden Hutchinson rushing the passer. You want David Ojabo rushing the passer. So you weigh like the, the benefit of, hey, do we rush the passer or do we have these defensive ends get hands on and chip the tight end on the way out? That knocks off his rhythm. So if he runs a clean route and it's a 10-yard out, if no one chips him, he's going to get there in perfect timing. The quarterback's going to reach the top of his drop and the ball's going to be out on time. But if Aiden on his way to rush the quarterback ships him and knocks him off, that's a tick, 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 tick. Now the quarterback's holding it. He's holding it. And the, the timing of the play is thrown off. That's something we did in Denver when we placed Tra- uh, Travis Kelsey, uh, Kelsey or Darren Waller or Hunter Henry. Von Miller, man, you're a beast rushing the passer. But this week, what we need you to do is really try to mess up that tight end as he releases in the route. Um, and then I think Coach McDonald does a good job. We're not always in man. We do a good job of mixing in zone coverage. So you're not always going to need to have a smaller DB running hand in hand uh, with their tight end. Sometimes you're going to have zones where, you know, you almost have a robber type role in the safety. So as the tight end's coming across the field, your safety can follow those eyes and be in the right position and maybe intercept the ball. It's all about making the offense uncomfortable and disrupting their rhythm. But he's definitely a beast and their go-to guy. I think the key is going to get him, make him uncomfortable. And, and you take away, it's like a Bill Belichick. You take away their number one option and they become a little bit uncomfortable. So we'll see what they do schematically. Coach McDonald, I trust him. He's done a great job this year um, to try to, to try to mess that guy up a little bit and throw him off rhythm. I like that. I could see Dax Hill being uh, big in that as well. He's a beast. I mean, that, Dax Hill, I mean, that, that's just a big physical. I mean, we, we, we have a couple of them, just big physical guys that, you know, they could match up with the safety. Um, the, the problem is when you, when you deal with a big tight end is you're a basketball player. And, you know, for me, I was never a 4-4 guy, never 4-5 guy. But I understood how to use my body. Like, hey – if I got a, if I got Daxon Hill behind me and the ball's being thrown out in front of me, like I'm gonna rebound it, I'm gonna stick my butt out, I'm gonna extend my hands, and, and no matter how good this safety is, my reach is gonna be longer than his reach. So it's like boxing somebody out. So sometimes even you'll have perfect defense and it's not good enough. That's where you try to get ahead of it right when the ball is snapped by roughing him up on his way to his release. It'll be interesting to see what they do schematically to to try to give, you know, tip the favor back in hands of our defense. I think one of the great things about Daxel and this defense, they've been such sure tacklers all season, especially bring Hawkins down in the box, RJ Moten, Rod Moore is a freshman, just calling out adjustments on the field as well. The coaching difference, I believe, has helped a ton, especially in the secondary. But I think the, that you saw in the one game they lost this year that you alluded to of Michigan State was they were missing uncharacteristic tackles, and they've really right. cleaned that up since then. Right, and, and, and what was happening early in the year was gap responsibility. The defense would play – play great 90% of the time, but that other 10%, we would just get lazy with our eyes, lazy with our assignment, lazy with our discipline. And that's all it takes in the game of football, especially in the Michigan State game. You're playing a guy as good as Kenneth Walker. If you give him a crease, that could be a 60-yard touchdown at any point in time. Now, one thing, it's it's all part of the bigger picture. It all works together. We have an absolute beast of defensive ends on the outside. We have a solid interior. So those guys are going to eat up double teams. They're going, to need to, they're going to need to focus you know, two linemen or a lineman and tight end on our guys. That means our backers and safeties are going to have free shots at the back. So if you're running through free, you have to make those tackles. You know, they're focused, you're, you're not going to get that help from your defensive linemen. You're, we're actually trusting you to run through free. Our defensive line is going to eat the double teams. You go in and make the tackle. 
and down the seat down the stretch of the season they've done exactly that they've greatly improved in that sense um you don't have to be perfect but you can't make the big mistake and i think that's the been the biggest improvement i've seen is these past couple games michigan has avoided making the big mistake defensively and forced the the offenses that they're facing to drive the ball and beat them rather than us beat our, beat ourselves that's a great point, man. And, um, you know, you, you mentioned Mike McDonald several times throughout this, and I think that he's been one of the biggest additions. Um, so you're obviously, you know, a Michigan legend, but still a Michigan fan. So when you watch this and you watch like what was going on last year versus what's happening this year, what do you think was the biggest difference? Was it like a coaching change thing? Was it a personnel thing? Was it Aiden Hutchinson just becoming yeah. all world and becoming a team leader? Um, yeah. Like, what did you see from the outside as someone who's been in the program that made like the biggest shift towards what we're seeing this year? I think team wise, um, Aiden Hutchinson, you know, him coming back and, and this is why I think he should be the number one pick in the draft is, you know, if you're picking number one, you don't just need talent. You have a culture issue. Teams with culture issues do not pick number one overall. So you have Aiden Hutchinson, who clearly was a big factor in changing Michigan's culture. I think we lacked culture last year, and we have clear culture this year, and that goes hand in hand. Josh Ross, Cade McNamara, Ronnie Bell, Andrew Bristardis, some of our Hassan Haskins, some of our veteran players have done a great job of emphasizing culture. But from a schematic standpoint, I love Don Brown. He ran literally only cover one my senior year in 2016. We would line up in one high and blitz six, seven guys and put Jordan Lewis and Channing Stribling on an island, and we would play cover one the entire game. That is really, really tough to do. We had 12 defenders get all Big Ten honors. All 11 starters and some of our two deep were getting Big Ten honors. So it didn't matter what defense you ran, you were going to have success with that much talent. You saw in the coming years, we didn't have that level of NFL talent and you get exposed and it's really, really tough as a defense when you don't have confidence in your scheme. I think we lost confidence schematically defensively. Guys were questioning the calls and didn't believe in themselves to execute their assignment. Whereas now Coach McDonald comes in and he's going to disguise coverages. So he's going to trust our talent, but he's also going to give us a pre-snap schematic advantage. You see it's too high pre-snap. And then at the snap of the ball, a safety's flying down in the box and we're rolling to cover three, you know, three deep. All right, now it's, hey, it looks like cover one. It looks like cover one, man. Everyone's pressing. Their eyes are looking like, man, you got double A gap. You see this all the time. You see our linebackers line up in the double A gap. You got six guys on the line of scrimmage. It looks like we're going to bring the house. Well, we would do that against Ohio State and they'd abuse us with these crossing routes. You saw it in the Penn State game. We're in double A gap, six-man pressure. We show the blitz and then our defensive ends drop out and they're looking horizontally and lighten crossers up. You're allowed to hit them within five yards. So we're showing you the blitz and then we know exactly what you're going to do against our blitz look. We're going to drop right out of it and light your ass up. So I think you always want, if you can, have a schematic advantage pre-snap. That's the game of football. You take every advantage you can get. Coach McDonald, been in the NFL think he'll be a head coach one day. He's a hell of a hell of a coach. So um, I think scheme wise, that's been the biggest stride we've taken forward this year. Um, and it's you see the talent, but um, it's a combination of talent and scheme and coaching and leadership. 
And to your point about coaching, I want to discuss Jim Harbaugh because this time last year, I mean, nobody was more maligned than the head coach and took the pay cut, revamped the staff. Jared Ivan pointed out it meant a lot to us that he just took control of his body, got back in shape, lost the weight, trimmed all that up. What have you seen from Harbaugh? Because like this season, it looks like he's having fun again for the first time in several years, the way he's uplifting his players in all post-game press conferences. I mean, it's just been like a completely revamped like Jim Harbaugh 2.0 at this point yeah it's funny you say that because I said that on another show a couple weeks ago and people didn't understand what I'm saying about the weight loss but if you're gonna if you're gonna be excellent you're excellent in every single thing you do in your health in the way you treat people in the building in the way you demand respect from yourself first in the meeting so Jim Harbaugh he, he made the changes internally first then that can be demanded of your entire coaching staff down the line so it was all related um, and I think, you know, for him as a head man, as a leader in the face of this program, when he was making changes that trickles down throughout the entire program, I think Jim is back to loving the process and loving the game of football. Once again, and that's one thing you see with this team is it, you just feel the love they have for one another. You go to Wisconsin and Wisconsin's playing jump around. No, that's actually our jump around. We're jumping around. We're having a great time. You're in Nebraska. We're, we're, we're taking their songs and making it our own. You know, there's a little moment in the Ohio state game. Roman Wilson, he's in a scuffle. There's a buzz. What's going to happen? The whole defense rips off their helmet. They come over and pump up the crowd. The stadium goes nuts. They Let's own go, the bro. moment, man. And that starts that starts all the way back in the offseason, building love and trust for one another that we're going to have each other's back until the until the sun goes down, man. So um, you credit Coach Harbaugh, you know, took, he takes a lot of the flack, man, a lot of the flack. A lot of people didn't want to see him this year. Um, and he stood strong. Ward Manuel stood strong. They trusted themselves. They trusted the process. And now we're reaping the fruits of that labor. It's it's awesome, too. And, you know, uh, it's it's the media that really creates a lot of these narratives. And technically, we were part of that. So we were very vocal in our eating crow about Jim Harbaugh. The, uh, the two and four season last year, I don't want to get into it too much because talking about COVID is the biggest bummer ever. But uh, but last year, did you read too much into that two and four season or were you just kind of accepting all the circumstances or or how did you look at that? Because to, to us now, we almost look at it as like a non-factor. Yeah, I mean, no, it wasn't good enough. I'll tell you that um, the one that stood out to me was the Michigan State game where they had no business playing with us in the way we took the field. I felt it was a lack of respect by the players, um, a lack of respect for the game of football. When you take the field and you wear the winged helmet and especially against your in-state rivalry, especially against Michigan State, it was extremely clear to me that it meant significantly more to Michigan State than it did to Michigan. And that one really hurt to watch, and it really pissed me off. But you don't make emotional decisions. You don't, you don't fire a guy if you don't have a clear replacement. You don't fire a guy unless you think that there's a real, real issue that you're not going to be able to overcome. I think we had a lack of leadership last year. Um, you know, Quarterback issues, we didn't know. Is it Joe Milton? I think having Cade come in settling the offense down, understanding he's going to make the right reads, um, get everybody lined up correctly was a huge, huge change for us. Um, so you could still say last year wasn't good enough. And I think Jim would tell you the same thing. I think anyone in the locker room would say the same thing. The guys have said it all year. They recognize it wasn't good enough, but hey, what you know, we can say that and say, all right, let's make this year better. And that's exactly what they've done. And I think that will and resolve was really tested following the Michigan State loss this year because it kind of felt like the same old thing. Like we can win certain games, but we lose the bigger ones. And then right. I think everything was really shifted on that Eric all crossing route against Penn State because Cade McNamara even alluded to it in the postgame saying 
no disrespect, but I think previous Michigan teams lose this game, and then they've carried that momentum from Penn State into Ohio State, into Iowa, and now into Georgia. It's, you know, that, that, that it was at that moment, man, in the Michigan State game where we had a couple chances to seize the game, to seize the moment, to throw a haymaker and, and connect and just bury Michigan State, but we didn't. And it was like, you know, you wonder, is this the same old song and dance? Um, I posted to my social media at the moment as people were panicking, ready to throw in the towel, calling for heads. This isn't good enough. I said, man, hey, we can still <laughs> – there's a lot of football left. I figured Ohio State was going to smoke Michigan State because I thought we should have smoked Michigan State. And then at that point, you're playing Ohio State for a chance to win the Big Ten Championship. Do not quit on this team yet. I saw a lot of great things in that game too. And you're never defined by one moment. You have the whole body of work throughout the whole season. Michigan State forgot that. <laughs> Beating us was their Super Bowl. They forgot there was a whole rest <laughs> of the season left to play, man. They're, they're still talking about it to this day. You guys, we're playing for a chance to go to the Natty. What are you talking about? That's the ultimate goal. As much as we want to beat you, that's the ultimate goal. So we understood the assignment and the entire picture. So, um, you know, it's it's not – you don't find out about your team when things are going good. You find out about your team when you're punching the face and you're facing adversity. So th- I think that that game, those guys, you, you heard about Aiden Hutchinson calling a team meeting that Monday, called him back in the locker room. Everyone was in the locker uh, – in the weight room. Everyone was in the weight room like, Aiden, man, where are we going? Wherever you're going, I'm going with you, man. We want to do this thing. And they did. And they put out a hell of a performance against Ohio State. So in this emotional driven social media world, if we can remember to have logic during the tough times, I think it would make life a hell of a lot easier. So um, let this be a lesson for the future days. There will be dark days ahead. Nothing's ever perfect. So um, let this be a, a reminder for those future days that surely will come. Dude, you're getting me fired up at 7 a.m. East uh, on the West Coast. I'm, I'm fired up. I'm ready to yeah. run through a wall. But I absolutely agree with everything that you said there. And uh, yeah, I mean, Aiden Hutchinson, there's just like it doesn't happen every year that it, you have a guy that's like they get off the plane and they're like, yeah, to the weight room. They're like, really? It's six in the morning and the whole right. team goes. Right. And, and that says something. So I wanted to ask you, uh, we, we definitely want to get to your Georgia predictions here. But and I know you got a hard out. But who are some of the best like team leaders that you've ever seen? And I, I, we know you were one of them just from what we've heard. And, you know, I've heard some stuff from Kovacs um, and I know that you were one of them. But who are some of the best like team leaders while you've been on teams? Could be pro, could be Michigan. Yeah. So one that definitely stands out and I wasn't there, but you hear stories is uh, Peyton Manning. Um, and the thing the, the thing that makes a good team leader is they set they demand excellence out of themselves. So they set the bar for themselves and they meet that bar. So then there's no mystery. Hey, I'm going to hold you to that same standard I hold myself to. You know, that's what makes a good leader. You never demand something out of somebody else that you're not willing to do to yourself. I remember hearing stories about Peyton Manning is everyone would be sitting up straight in those team meetings. And Peyton would ask the running back what the X receiver has on a certain play. And if he didn't know, he'd kick you out of the meeting. Hey, man, we got to be dialed in. Everybody has to understand the bigger picture. We all have to be on the same page because we're trying to win a Super Bowl. That's the goal, you know? So, and he would call out coaches. I mean, I heard Adam Gase used to talk about, hey, man, he's going through film. He's like, hey, this is cover six on this play. And Peyton would be like, whoa, whoa, whoa. Why is that cover six? He'd have everybody on their toes. You better be damn sure about your assignment, your understanding, the scheme. That's the standard. And if you fall short of it, I'm going to call your ass out because, again, if you don't want to win a Super Bowl, fine, go to somewhere else. But the goal here is to win the Super Bowl. So Peyton obviously stands out as, as one of the best leaders I've ever been around. Um, rest in peace, Demarius Thomas. 
awesome guy. Um, yeah, wonderful, wonderful soul. He was one of the best guys I've ever been around, um, you know, leadership standpoint. Domata Pecco, uh, defensive lineman, Michigan State guy. He has the ponytail, played for the Cincinnati Bengals, Bengals for a while. Just one of those dudes where, you know, you're in the dog days of camp, you're sore. There's this big, jolly Polynesian dude, and he's got his little Hawaiian guitar, and he's just strumming the guitar, like singing Over the Rainbow or something. And you're like, and you're like you know, life actually isn't that bad. Thank you, Don. Like, you're, you're a good guy, man, you know? So um, those are those are definite dudes that, uh, that stand out. Um, obviously, J- Jake Ryan is another guy. Um, you know, Love Jake Ryan. Big Jake Ryan, Ryan fans here. Yeah, he's he's a good uh, good one. Ben Gideon, Jordan Lewis, um, you know guys like that. We had a lot of them. So um, Jake Rudolph, another great guy. Um, coaches Jim Harbaugh. I think he he's shown that his ability sometimes being a leader is your ability to change and know when to change and know how much to change. So Jim Harbaugh is probably I'll, I'll end with the best. Uh, save the best for last. Jim Harbaugh's best leader. All right. Well, although you didn't play with them, uh, Thomas Edward Patrick Brady, I believe he was a guest captain at the Colorado game in 2016. Pounded on, pounded on the shoulder pad, saying "Let's go to you." What was that moment like? When you think of leaders, uh, you almost don't even need to say it. Like they kind of just like joined together at the hip for all of eternity. Tom Brady. I mean, it was sweet. I remember shaking his hand in the locker room. And first off, he's got gigantic hands. And I got big-ass hands, too. So normally my <laughs> hands are dwarfed in somebody's hands. But our hands six, met. Six, and I'm bro. like, damn, that's a, you know. But there's also a, there's an aura and a presence about him. Like, when you walk in the room, it's almost like his energy. You just gravitate to him. Like, all right, Tom, like, where do you want to go, man? I'll go with you, too. Like, <laughs> yeah, you want to go? Yeah, I'll do it. Yeah, what do you want me to do? He's just an absolute beast of a leader. Um, and, yeah, Really, really cool, man. He's, I, I, a couple years later, uh, we played Tampa Bay, and I went and said hey to him after the game. He remembered my name. <laughs> Just an absolute beast, beast of a human being, man. It's it's almost like he's a robot. Like, he's he's that perfect. He's he's awesome. That's so cool, man. Just even hearing about that from, from one legend about another legend, that's uh, that's got us giddy, but we got to keep it together here because we got to get some Georgia predictions from you, sure. man. We have a game here coming up. Uh, like we we mentioned, we kind of talked about Brock Bowers. We kind of talked about the, the Georgia offense. Georgia and Michigan kind of similar as far as their passing offense from what I've seen. Granted, they get it done in different ways. But if you look at the rankings, uh, 53 and 67, respectively, in pass yards per game. Uh, Georgia at 53, Michigan at 67 there. But do you see any advantages for Michigan in the pass game against this Georgia team? Stats don't tell the whole story, man. Stats are the most skewed thing in college football. I mean, I, I, th- I think about this, too, is, you know, even I go individual stats. You know, my senior year when I won the Mackey, there were some other tight ends that had much better stats than me. Well, you go back to the beginning of the season, we were blowing our, our first four games. Our starters didn't play in the second half. You're not you're not going to pass the ball against Northern Illinois when you're up 40 to nothing at halftime. You know what I mean? So these, <laughs> these stats are heavily, heavily skewed. Can you throw the ball when you need to throw the ball? And Michigan has proven that they've been able to do that. Um, you know, in the Michigan State game, they were very successful throwing the ball. Um, Wisconsin, you know, Cade and um, uh, I'm sorry, Hassan and Blake, both neither of them had 100 yards rushing. Um, but individually, we were able to throw the ball as needed. So um, that's I think is more telling. I think Michigan can throw the ball. Obviously, I've studied way more Michigan than Georgia. I think the story is, is, is can Michigan's offense find cracks in Georgia's defense? They're an absolute stellar defense. 
Um, if we can crack on them and wear on them um, and put up some points, I think our defense can hold their own against Georgia's offense. So if we can get to that 25, 30 point, 30 point range offensively, we've got a really good chance of winning the game. I think another key is getting out ahead early, forcing the game to be in Stetson Bennett's hands and letting them face some adversity because until Alabama, they really hadn't faced much and they kind of crumbled in the face of it. So if you can get them feeling that again, like the all here we go again feeling, I think you might be able to fracture them a little bit. That's the key to almost all football, man, is can you make your opponent uncomfortable? Um, And our defense schematically, talent-wise, you know, Aiden Hutchinson, you are always uncomfortable when you got two NFL uh, defensive ends coming down and breathing down your neck and and hitting you in your ribs a couple times a game. That'll make you uncomfortable real quick. So um, I think that's, it's, it's the same, it's the same recipe, you know, similar to every single week is, is who can make the other team more uncomfortable, who can take away the other team's strengths better, and then who can respond and and counterpunch better. So I don't see either team blowing the other one out. I think it's going to be a great game to watch. I'm excited to tune in. Um, And, yeah, we'll see how it plays out. Excited myself. It is weird that it's on New Year's Eve, so, like – I think a lot of our girlfriends are probably like resigned to the fact that we're watching football on New Year's right. Eve, at least to a certain point in the night. We'll get through that. They will, you know, I'm, I'm assuming we're, we're dating, dating people that street. like understand this is how we live. Um, all right. So we, we, we generally do when we bring people on and if you're not comfortable with it, you don't have to do it, but we'd like to know who do you think are the most important players of this game? Maybe one on offense, one on defense, and what's your score prediction for this game? So probably not one. Um, I think the the key here is Michigan's offensive line collectively against Georgia's defensive line, specifically Jordan Davis. Um, If you let that guy run loose, he will wreck your game and you will not do anything. Um, But what you're going to have is you have two two on one, your double teams. He's an interior guy. So oftentimes you're going to have two linemen double teaming him. When you have 600 pounds on 300 pounds, you have to win. It's not easy. Dude's going to be playing a long time in the NFL. But if we can contain him, also, usually when you're an explosive guy like Jordan Davis, you're ex- you got a great, powerful punch, but your endurance isn't as good. So can you extend drives? Can you get him into that 8-9 play where maybe he's weaker and more tired at the end of the drive? That's when you can really run the ball and really emphasize it. So um, if our offensive line can contain him and wear on him a little bit, I think we, we have a really good chance. Defensively, once again, it's going to be our defensive end's ability to, um, you know, chip Georgia's tight end Bowers, and then our safety's rolling down in coverage. Um, can we can we take him away? It's probably going to be the primary read in the pass game. If we can make that tight end uncomfortable and take away their strength, um, and then get get after the quarterback, um, I think we're taking away their strength and give ourselves a schematic advantage. You got a prediction for us? Yeah, I'm going to say 30 to 23, Michigan. Um, I, I think you know it's going to be a close game. Um, I think, again, if Michigan can get to that 30 points, you know, you're looking at a touchdown every quarter at that rate, just about maybe one field goal. Um, I think you're doing pretty good. I think our defense has been shown. I mean, Ohio State is an explosive offense and we held our own really, really well. A lot of bend, but don't break. We forced Ohio State to kick field goals down in the red zone. So if we can do some more of that, um, we got a really good chance of winning the game. I love it, man. Yeah, you look at what we did against Wisconsin, what we did against Washington, two very good defenses. I believe that we can score against a very good Georgia defense that didn't really see an offense that I think like is really coming into its own, a very explosive offense. So I agree with you, man. 
I'm with you. I think that, uh, and I'm not just saying this because I'm a homer. Obviously, you've got three Michigan fans here, one <laughs> Michigan legend. You know, we're going to lean one way here, but I do believe that there's a very good chance. Uh, Jake Butt, this has been uh, a pleasure uh, completely on this side of things. What are you working on now, man? Throw us some, sh- some shout outs here. What are you working on? Uh, just this, man. You guys can follow me on Twitter, Jake Butt, T-E, T-E standing for tight end. Um, Instagram, it's Jay Booty. Both, both platforms, you can search Jay Booty and you'll find me going to be getting into the broadcasting game the analyst game um you know doing a lot more of this you know right now it's heavily focused on michigan football so if you're a michigan fan tune in um and follow me doing some stuff with the big 10 network um and we'll see by next season hopefully get into a a bigger better role surrounding either the big 10 or the total you know all of college football so we'll see where it goes but um if you love football go ahead and check me out on those platforms Dude, it's going to happen for you. We've uh, we've both listened to you and you and Devin Gardner is the other guy. We're like, dude, these guys like they belong in this world. So uh, super it. excited to see where your career goes and we'll be following it. Uh, and this this is great for us, man. Thank you so much for your time. Thank you. Merry Christmas. Happy holidays. Merry Christmas to you, sir. Andy, that was the coolest interview we've ever done. Yeah, Jake Butt is just a phenomenal human. Everything he said about Tom Brady is what we describe with Jake Butt. <laughs> yeah, that's how we feel about Jake Butt. So uh, if he does come back and listen on this, just know, Jake Butt, we are super fans. Probably on my Mount Rushmore. Actually, for sure on my Mount Rushmore after we got to talk to him. He's at my least Michigan Mount Rushmore. At least on my Michigan Mount Rushmore of guys I want to have a beer with and just like hear about practice stories, recruiting stories, and just all the ins and outs. We, I mean, we were just sitting around basically with like popcorn in our hands, listening to him just elaborate and tell stories. Yes, and uh, that dude knows his stuff. I when I said like I'm so excited for his career, that was not hyperbole. I legitimately think Jake Butt is going to be awesome at this job. Just like very insightful. Wow, that was uh, we're still a little shook from it. It's 7 a.m. East uh, Western time where I'm at right now, and I'm still shook. I mean, it's not every day you get two time, two time all American Jake Butt on here. Our apologies, sir. (laughs) (laughs) We make sure we put some respect on it. Absolutely, man. Um, All right. That's probably going to wrap it up for us. Any closing thoughts from you? No. Merry Christmas. Happy holidays. Be safe. See you next week. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Uh, The holidays aren't going to stop us. We will be back. Uh, This is our holiday pod. So um, our gift to you was Jake, but you're welcome. (laughs) And uh, (laughs) that was really a gift for us. But um, but yes, we will absolutely be back next week. We hope that you guys have a great holiday season, whatever religious customs you might support. Or if you don't support religious customs, be with your people. Be with your people, and we hope the absolute best for you. We are in the best mood possible. We are headed to a college football playoff against Georgia. It's December. We're, we're creeping up on January. We're still playing football. You and I still podcast, and we got Jake Buck coming on. Life is good, my friend. Life, you said it early in the year, these are the good times. There will be lean times in the future, but for right now, live in the good times, embrace it, and just feel the moment. Cheers to all of you. That's going to do it for Out of the Blue. Make sure that you like, share, subscribe wherever you get your podcasts, whether it is on Apple Music, Spotify, or wherever. You can follow us on Twitter. Please follow at Maze and Brew. You can follow us if you want. We're not really Twitter guys, but at JStorm303 and at UMAndyB. There's an underscore in there, isn't there? No, but it's Andrew B. You've almost gotten it. Like You almost got it the first time last week, but UMAndrewB, get at us.
I'm committed to never getting it right. I don't care, <laughs> I don't care about it. It's Twitter. like a bit at this point. <laughs> yeah. It's going to be 30 years and I'll be like, isn't this actually it? But all right. Uh, Andy, I'm Jared. This is Out of the Blue. We'd like to remind you, wherever you go, go blue.